Y'all know the vibes, Reasons to Podcast, you heard. some redemption right now <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you gotta give back shit no that's crazy man that's crazy but um obviously people welcome back welcome back how we record him come on i like to just oh, you know <laughs> make sure that people don't know it's already recording but yes people welcome back it's another rendition of the reasons to podcast got an amazing guest today her name is not Aliyah. it's not what's the other ways i think people ever say Aliyah. no my young people say Alia. 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 It's Alia. Alia Ali. Alia Ali. Alia Ali. Alia Ali. That's my Ali. cool name. Yeah. Yes, we got Alia Ali here. An amazing young lady. I know how old you are, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do my extra research. <laughs> amazing young lady here, man. She got an amazing story. And um, I've been looking for somebody like Alia to just speak to for a very long time because um, her background is just something that you won't believe. I mean, like... Straight away, like when somebody looks at you, I'm sure they assume 101 things and it's never the path that you've actually been on. Mm. Especially for me, like that's what caught me off guard. I think I was even, I, I was up mad late and I just see that, I just heard, like saw on the Explorer page, I heard you talk and then I was hearing the thing you said, I was like, wait, what the fuck did she say? <laughs> and, you, and, and, and you killed the hair, let's not yeah, forget. Yeah, you like it, that's my <laughs> natural look. Yeah, no, you killed that look, you killed that look. But obviously... Um, introduce yourself a little bit, let the people know a little bit about you. So my name's Alia Ali. I'm the founder of a movement that I created in 2017 called Daddyless Daughters. Yes, wicked. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, with that, how did you come around to even creating Daddyless Daughters? Well, like you said, I've been on one hell of a journey throughout my life. And um, well, firstly, started off, started, started off like with the things that I'd seen in my house. Yeah. Um, my mum, she, she was adopted. So okay. we didn't have like was that your biolo- was that my your... biological mum, okay, yeah. Cool. She's adopted. So we didn't have no uh, connection to like our blood family on her side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd never met any of my dad's relatives either. And where and are you guys from, country wise? My dad is from Zambia and my mum's English. Okay, cool. We don't technically like know the ins and outs of like her pathology. Yeah. But that's because we still like she's still figuring it out really. Yeah, yeah. Um but so kind of, I didn't really see, all my all of us have different dads. So I didn't have like a constant relationship with my dad. Um, my older sister had more of a relationship with okay, my dad. Okay, how many siblings? Three. Okay, cool. So we never met my sister's dad at yep. all. Never seen him. She's never seen him or met him either. Were you the oldest? No, I'm the middle child. Okay, cool. We're so by the time my dad comes on the scene, she has more of a relationship with my dad than I did. Then by the time he left, I had more of a relationship with my brother's dad than my brother does now. Okay. So this kind of caused identity when we were growing up yeah. issues like, you know, where do we belong? Who are we? We all come from different countries in Africa too. So like I'm Zambian, my older sister's Nigerian, my little brother's Ghanaian. Crazy. So yeah, like we had like so many different complications around that. And then my mom got in an abusive relationship with my little brother's dad. And like the things that we witnessed at that age were like crazy for us to see. Um, And then that all result got spiraled out of control and that resulted in me ended up in care. Um, When I ended up in care, me and my sister's relationship broke down. My relationship with my family broke down. And that was just probably the period in my life where I felt the most isolated and alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's kind of 
I say that, but then I also lived in a house with my siblings and my family, and I still didn't feel like I belonged there either. Yeah. Because of all the chaos and the abuse and around, stuff that was going on. How old are you around these, around these times? So around like... these times, where by the time I end up in care, I'm around 13, 14. Okay. But I still can't even get the ages on point because there's memory blocks when you deal with a lot of trauma. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm still going through therapy now, and I'm still having to like piece together the pieces of my life. I don't even remember birthdays and like good things that happened in our childhood. My sister Crazy. would try to bring it up, my mum would try and it annoys them, but I'm like, there's blockages that I, I can't remember past a certain age. I probably can't remember past I was like eight. Uh, sorry, before I was like eight. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I ended up in care and yeah, that's kind of where my journey began in terms of being groomed and approached by like older boys older people in my community, they could tell, like, my children's home was literally in the middle of an estate. What estate was that? Cray Crane? Crane Estate. No, first children's home was in Bermondsey. Um, That's all south, I'm assuming, right? It sounds like it. Yeah, southeast London. Yeah. I don't... I can't remember the, the name of the estate that was around my first children's home in, in Bermondsey. Yeah. Second children's home... Sorry, I keep knocking this. It's all good. Second children's home was Peckham. And... Um, surrounded by the Crane Estate. Okay. Basically just off Southampton Way. Um, but the estate that I came from was kind of linked, the people from the estate that I was came, came from were linked to the grooming and where I was going in my teens. Linked to the grooming? Yeah. But was that a thing that was known? I think, I don't know. In it. I think, I don't think, it took a long time for me to accept I was groomed. Okay. And I don't think my peers even knew they were grooming me. But it was because I now started going on that professional journey and I yeah. started to understand what grooming is and how to uh, to tackle it from a professional point of view. Yeah, yeah. I had to be real with myself and, and know that I was groomed. The relationships, the friendships that broke down was just evidence that it was a grooming process, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Because if you really check for somebody and you really care about somebody, you don't just exploit them or exploit their situation and then disappear yeah, yeah. which is what what that was the pattern that kept happening in my teens um i'm assuming that what these 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 men were like or men and women possibly men and there was one older girl yeah um but not not really women no just mainly older boys and yeah. older men um and then i also groomed other girls to get involved as well yeah, in the yeah. stuff that we was involved in and then kind of at, when you're a child and you're in care, you're like the first to get a flat. So I'm 15, 16, getting a flat. At what age? 15, 16. 15, 16. You know yeah, what? I've got my first flat. I'm sorry to cut you off. Because um, obviously I work as a support worker for mm -hmm. social services. So mm -hmm. I'm in care homes all the time. Okay. And um, now there's no way we'll give away someone a full yard at 16. Because mm -hmm. the, the difference is now from 16 to 18, you have to still be in supported housing. In supported housing. Mm -hmm. And then you get into semi-independent, obviously from 18 onwards. Yep. But you've got a, a, a house to your own. At 16? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's crazy still. So sometimes, like, I think, I, I'm not even sure if back then they had supported accommodation like what they have now for the 16 to 18-year-olds. Mm. Um, that was never an option. That wasn't offered to me. And mm -hmm. I do remember saying to my social worker, like, I'm not ready. I don't want to go, like, into a flat. And I was, like, I wasn't fearful, but I also knew... I would be out here, out here alone and not be able to kind of control the situations yeah. that would happen. 
But then on the other side, there was the most dominant side of me. That was the ch- my inner child. Mm-hmm. The most dominant side of me was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm ready. Like, I'm, I I thought that I was older than I was. I weren't ready to make certain you decisions. Know, to be honest, when we get to that age, especially because you're solo, you're independent, you're thinking, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Like, you're going to feel like you, you exactly. own shit and you're in charge. Exactly. But, but it's a facade. Yeah, it's a facade. And you can't see the bigger picture. Yeah. Exactly. But, so 15, cool. 16, get my first flat. And yeah, that's just when, like, around that time as well in Peckham, like, loads of gang stuff was, like, spiraling out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we was in the thick of that. Um, so shootings were happening outside my house. People were running up in my house, like, doing all kinds of things. And I moved. I, I remember going back to social service saying, like, look, I can't be in this environment. It's getting dangerous. Whatever. They just moved me to the other side of Peckham. Things kept spiraling out of control. And it, this went on for about a year and a half until I ended up living in B&Bs for about nine months okay. across like Southeast London. By the time I turned 18, I was then sentenced and then put into prison. And how long did you do at 18? So I went to prison um, 18, I did about two and a half years. Um, I did time on remand and then by the time I got sentenced, um, I got a four year custodial sentence and then had to complete the other two years. Okay, and if you don't mind me asking, what did you go inside for? Possession of intent to supply class A. Okay, so and would you say that like, um, of course, like it was a one of the situations, just like like county lines where you get like guys that obviously show you like, oh yeah, like all you gotta do is this, and then you get you earn, you're gonna earn this amount, and of yeah. course that's what lured you in. I'm assuming. I think that that's definitely what lured me into the lifestyle. Yeah. However, by the time I was 18, I was I was too big for my boots. By mm. the time I was 18, and I originally was arrested for assisting a murder and two attempted murders, obsession of ammunition. Yep. So the trident that came for me at that time, they didn't give a damn about the drugs that they found and, and everything else they found around me. The guys that I was involved in were all being arrested for murders, so they was Crazy. linking me to that. I was on bail. I originally got arrested when I was 17. I was on bail for a year, signing on at police stations, living in B&Bs, all of that. So then... All the other cases got dropped, and yeah. the only thing they could charge me with was possession of intent to supply. Crazy. So, yeah, that's what I mean about, you know, grooming, is when you make those decisions as a kid, you don't understand the lifestyle you're actually getting into yeah, until yeah. things start spiraling out of control, and then things get even more dangerous and more dangerous and more dangerous. Um, and, yeah, the guy that was linked on that case, he ended up getting, like, 36 years. And... um that's see that <laughs> this is what I mean by like you wouldn't you wouldn't expect half of the things that you're saying, but yeah. I fucking respect it. And obviously you've gone through what you've gone through and you've come out and you are who you are today. Yeah. And um if you had like any advice to give to that, let's say thir- fourteen to thirteen year old you, like what would what would you say? Because of course I'm sure there's some young girls right now in your current position. Well, in the position that you was before mm. and there could be something that they could possibly learn. <sighs> I don't know, man, because the more that I do the work that I do with the dadless daughters and the girls, it's like, you can't tell somebody what their life lessons are. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm. They got to go through it. They got to feel it. like, And then they have to process it and reflect on it mm. and take their own life lessons and apply it accordingly. So I don't necessarily feel it's right to for us to, especially this day and age that we're in where everybody's sharing their opinions and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, for yeah. us to put our life experiences onto other people. Um, especially the younger girls, but I would say, you know, be mindful. Don't make friends of people that are older than you. Don't get involved in worlds that you know nothing about and just keep your innocence for as long as possible. That's that's what I would say. And, um, you know, like at 18, um, so you come out at 20, 
Mm-hmm. And um, twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah, around that time. Yeah. Um, did you? What was like the? What things did you find hard to get back into society as when you come back out of prison? Because of course, Everything. I'm sure. Because I was a care leaver, so when I came home, I didn't have nothing. I was homeless for like two weeks, and then. After I got, I went back to social service and I said to social service, I swear you guys are responsible for me. Like, what's going on? I'm supposed to have somewhere yeah, yeah. to live. And um, they gave me a bidding number. So then I started bidding. I got my flat quite rapidly after that. Um, then my flat, like, I don't have money to put flooring in my flat. I don't have money to buy curtains. Mm. I don't have family that come from money. I've never seen my mum work a day in her life. Like, th- I didn't know what to do at that stage. Um, and that was a very depressive stage in my life. And I reverted back to what I knew because that was the only way I knew how to survive and make money. And I remember I went, because um, I used to do county lines. Yeah. So I went to one place where uh, I was in with one girl. So sorry. I was in prison with a girl. I went to her town. Yeah. I contacted her because I remember she was telling me like loads of stories about her area. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to come to your town and I'm going to set up shop. So I went to her area and this girl would not stop talking to me every night when I got back to her house about how I need to change my life. And then one day the penny just dropped. My heart went in it anyway. And she was like, just go on the journey. I'll show you how to apply for uni. I'll show you how to put together a CV. Like I'll be with you every step of the way. But like, just stop this. Like you have so much more potential. And this, this same one girl was in, was in prison with you at the time yeah, too. Yeah. Wicked. So... Um, I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And I remember like nights when I just didn't, I was like, try, I tried the uni thing, it yeah. weren't working. Obviously I, I had more responsibility than anybody my age would have and any of my peers would have. And it was like, I was trying not to form relationships with people that was older than me, but it's like, who's gonna guide me through this? Who can actually teach me how to uh evolve and develop and progress in life but my peers were unable to do that because they're still living at home they don't even do their own washing exactly they can't yeah they can't show me how to pay my council tax how to do this how to do that so i was going through it at that time and i remember there's nights when i was crying to her on facetime like it was a proper internal struggle Mm. um and then that's when i met personal development and like i just started to get obsessed with personal development and i started to understand hold on these are fear barriers these are things that i can actually overcome that i can break through if i just develop my mind and i figure out how to control the way i'm thinking the way i'm processing and my perception of everything that's going on around me um and yeah we just started that journey and then i started i just that's when i decided you know what the the role that i played in, in prison and the relationships that i built in prison with these girls I want to be able to develop that. Um, so I went back to social service. I asked them, like, is there any voluntary work? Like, what can I do to help younger people and stuff Make like that? Um, I ended up doing a national investigation study type thing called mm-hmm. From Care to Custody with, mm-hmm. like, my local MP. I was very passionate about the fact that when you're in care, they kind of use the police as that emotional unavailable father and social service is deemed as the emotional, unmaternal, unnurturing mother. So it's a very like abusive situation to grow up in. And I kept explaining to like my MP and the like directors, children directors in my borough and stuff like that, that they need to stop calling on the police so soon when a child is acting out. And if that child was living in a normal home, they'll just get grounded. Their phone will get yeah, taken no, exactly. or whatever. You lot are getting us arrested. I've got to explain convictions on my rap sheet to employers now from that from situations that happen in our children's home. 
and it's unacceptable. So I used to go but on you, and on about but this. What? Like they're calling police when I mean, well, that was back then because I even for myself now I'm 100 percent sure like we we would only call police if you're not home by your. That's the um, missing. Yep, yeah, that's another that's, conversation with yeah, itself. Yeah, true. But um, with that, it's like it's more of a report. It's not even to call Fed to come and look at you. It's to call. It's just to, to inform uh, Fed that this person is just not home. And that's about it. But mm-hmm. I haven't had ever a situation where I've had to call someone in. But obviously, in your scenario, so let's say if you're being possibly like defiant towards one of the staff members, you're telling me that the staff members would then call Fed and be like... Yeah, depends what mood that staff yeah, member's nah, in. Depends who wrong. that staff that's member wrong. is. They can do whatever. I can remember one time we they weren't opening the food cupboard like back then they have to lock the food cupboard and stuff like that and we was all hungry and we we were being boisterous but we were boisterous kids we had been through a lot in life yeah yeah so we wanted sweet corn was making like tuna and sweet corn pasta and whatever and the guy was refusing to open the cupboard and whatever was like listen mate we're just going to take your key and we're going to open the cupboard because we're hungry and we did that and we ended up getting arrested for theft and then that's on your That's on, on, that's your on my right criminal now. record, and yeah, I got to explain fucked. that to people. Exactly. No, that's crazy. Do you get what I'm saying? So I kept going on about stuff like that. So then I did this investigation, which is called From Care to Custody. Yeah. And basically how they institutionalize us before we get to prison. Because I don't know if you understand the statistics around how many people actually have been in care and are in prison. Yeah, no, um, I've, I, there's, a, there's, there's someone in my current home that has literally is part of that um, statistic, right. I'd say. Yeah. But at the same time, um, it's one of them ones. It's obviously, I, I can't, I, I have to say it's, un, it's it's not really avoidable to be honest because like you said, in a, kind of all the tra- traumas that they've been in, kind of their, their background, their lifestyle, the most that we could do is just attempt to mm. nurture and attempt to be, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, someone that they can, that can hear them because a lot of them are just, they're, they're just suppressing Correct, all their emotions. Yeah. They don't really want to get things out. So when they go outside and do something or whatever, like we can't, it's just, we can't really try and prevent that. It's, it's the statistic that's quite hard to to break at the moment. It but is. I think there, there could be a slight, I'd say, improvement. I think there is a slight improvement because in, I'd say, in one out of the five homes that I've worked in or I've been around, there's only one person that's been incarcerated. But obviously, I'm just speaking oh, on behalf it? of just one. But obviously, but the rest have been mad arrest, mad court dates, yeah. mad this, mad that. But the things are kind of slowing because what we at least do, like we wouldn't want to try and sit down and obviously, like you said, that like, and treat them like children you know what I'm trying to say These are, you know, when you're talking 16 plus year olds you can't be out here telling them can't don't 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 they're gonna be like, they're gonna be like Bro, you're not my father who the fuck are you to tell me like I can't do this and I can't do that especially so we, when they got the responsibilities exactly, of an older person exactly mm. it's, exactly it's exactly that so and obviously if they gotta do their shopping they gotta clean their own room they gotta do this but what you only wanna step in when I like to intervene mm. it's not gonna work out so we just at least teach them to just the main thing with the people that I work with is teach them communication that's our thing just to teach the young kids how to communicate, how to just be civil. Like you said, you know, do tax papers and all mm. them little things there. Like, but we don't do none of that whole, like, um, like tell them, oh, you, you're in a final warning and all them things there. Like, these that's are youths. These, yeah. are, these, are, these are young. The same way that I was just like them not long ago. So yeah. that's what we offer, man. I think we're evolving as people. Yeah. And it's it as a result of that, the care system has also evolved. But it's going a bit slower yeah. than, you know, what we hope for for the kids and for them to have better outcomes yeah but at the same time back when i was in care there was no well we didn't hear any such thing as like a therapeutic approach a yeah. trauma-informed practice exactly. we didn't know about these type of things do you get what i'm saying we just had a bunch of old people who didn't have kids themselves Ex- coming okay. into children's homes yeah. and trying to take i don't know what was going on in their lives or whatever but it felt like they were taking it out on us exactly. and then like every environment every institution is an institutional environment 
there's like maybe one or two that that have that sense of yeah you know just, that you just, can seek identity in or that you can have a serious conversation literally. with but then even those one or two staff members the system also makes it hard for them to connect with young people yeah because because they start saying you're not doing boundaries you're not being professional you're yeah, not yeah. this you're not that I've, I've found that in in my time that i've worked in schools uh there's been numerous times where i've been pulled to the side to be told yo like you, you're too much on their side mm-hmm. and, and uh you 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 allow them too much and it's like i'm not i'm not bloody it's not we're not we're not sergeants exactly. this ain't the army you know exactly. this ain't cadets we ain't got to be sitting here telling them yo like must 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 it's like they're human beings just like us they got emotions mm-hmm. that's the thing with with people is that they're not aware how big of a deal and emotions are mm. like it plays a big part like, just hearing someone just this conversation we're having here alone mm. like that's doing a lot for both of us yeah you get what i'm trying to say so like people just seem to think it's all about control and and respect and and it's like, like they want to conquer mm-hmm. so much I don't, I don't know what part of society I, i'm sure it's something to do with 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 men, some uh, like along the line, so I don't know what part it's to do. I think it's life, you know. It's, uh, I think pecking order. Yeah. If you look at everything in life, that everybody don't want to be up at the bottom of the pecking order. Mm. So whatever they got to do to have that little sense of feeling like they're powerful, they will do it. Yeah, exactly. It's that to do it's that badges, for yeah. example. You know, you you tell someone that oh, you're now the the manager of this. All of a sudden now you're gonna try and act like. But you, you don't have to, you know. Exactly. There's that other option, of course. And I was going to ask you, so counting like throughout majority of your experiences I've experienced in life, um, how has that shaped you as a person now? It sharpened me. It has sharpened me. Um, it was a big question. <laughs> you wasn't expecting that? Yeah, kind of, but not. <laughs> it, I mean, it definitely sharpened me as a person. Yeah. Um, I don't think, like, you know, a lot of people ask me, oh, if you can go back and change this and change that, would you? I wouldn't. The only thing I would try and change is the relationship that I have with my family and my parents and trying to understand who they are more, why they made certain decisions. Yeah. I would have made more of an effort to do that because I think that would have helped me keep my sanity at a young age. Um, but other than that, I just feel like a lot of my experiences have sharpened me and I'm excited. I can't wait to see who I'm going to be when I'm 30. Yeah, no, I, 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 we'll get into that in, yeah. like, later because I've got, definitely got a question for that. And also as well, like, I don't know how many people that you'd know that have obviously come out of being incarcerated and then shaped their life around. Obviously, for me, like, the statistics are really, really poor and really low. So, like, my older brother, for example, he mm. was in and out of jail countless times. Not one time was there a lesson that he came out and he was a new person. Also said to a bunch of other, like, guys that I know. But for yourself, like, I've seen that, of course... You came out and you've done some good in there. You've done some reflecting, came out and you shaped yourself, um, you shaped your life around. Mm. So what would you say, like, um, like how's the system or how's the prison system failing people? Or, or do you reckon it's the system or, or is it the person? Because It's the system. And I think what we have to understand, the si- system not designed for us. Yeah. Do you understand? The system makes money from us. Yeah. When we go into prison, we work in warehouses, we get paid seven pound a week. It's the yeah. new slavery. Yeah. Do you understand? So I think what what I was trying to say earlier as well is like so many times in my life have I seen crossroads. The first time was in my household. So I said, okay, if I make certain decisions that my mum makes, I'm going to be like her. Yeah. So now I was so focused in my teens not to be like her. But still, I made those, I still made the wrong decisions because I was so focused on not becoming something, I became that. So I allowed myself to be groomed and exploited. Then when I went into prison, there's girls that are going home Monday 
They're coming back Friday. I'm back, guys. They're telling us this is the only place I have to eat, to sleep. Like, this is the only place I feel safe. This is like a second home to them. The officers know them. It's norm, the norm. Mm. So that was like my third crossroad where I saw, okay, so I can go out and like repeat the decisions that I made, stay in a victim mindset, go out and, and live my life that way. And I'll just end up back here. I can see all the results. Do you get what I'm saying? The one result I couldn't see, if I reached my potential, nobody around me had reached their potential. Yeah, so I could I'll... see an exit or I could see a way out. But there were, I always had that sense of hope inside me and I think I get that from books from reading like I create my own world but you, you know what's crazy when you're saying about seeking potential what's mad is that like what I find like in in majority of like urban communities is that like let's say like somebody like myself I'm just a regular positive you you know go to work come home do my shit pay my bills and you know keep it easy mm. but I don't get what obviously I do get why like my lifestyle is not as you know like a uh, uh, flashy you know, compared to a guy that, you know, has got the, the cars, the jewelries, the money, I get it. But I don't, I still don't get why, like, why wouldn't my path, because for example, now my path, what's it got to you? What's it, what's it got me? It's got me nothing but, uh, there's a lot of joy, a lot of happiness. Of course, there's mm. bad times, but there's a, there's a nice line, no trouble, no nothing. Things are clean, your credit scores up and whatever you move. Mm. But then why would you literally, if you know, you literally know that if you choose to do, you know, the other path of, like the whole drug selling thing is all good, like, but there's a there's a time in the, sp in the space, you know. You get what I'm trying to say, like, so why is it that the people that are actually doing good, like, are are, are not like literally in? Not, let me not say not that are not in the light, but why I don't get why the youngers don't want to, like, mm -hmm. look up to them. It's like mm -hmm. it's like I I used to wake up every morning, look downstairs from my house. There'll be about fucking fifteen people waiting for my older brothers to come outside. <laughs> These fifteen people are literally all sheep clueless mm -hmm. and of course he's another it's like the blind following the blind, blind. yeah like so literally yeah. but then now there's me regular degular you know just <laughs> mind, mind my business yeah. and the kickboarder man or whatever come home but it's me that's like oh that that's dead and okay now we're getting older okay now i'm 21 now that i'm seeing the same people that grew up um, that are my age mates and i'm still stuck in that little bubble and i'm like how are we still not coming out of that and of course, you you manage because you you've seen it. You, I'm sure you've seen the commas. I'm mm. sure you've seen you've seen the drugs. You've seen it mm. all. But which maybe you'll be able to give us a better insight on. I think I was talking about this yesterday to my friend, but in a different context. In terms of like you know all this stuff that's going around about Dachavelli and the young girls and whatever. Yeah. Like I think we need to be aware and understand our cultural conditioning. Yeah, we've been conditioned to be attracted to badness, yeah. dysfunction. All these things that tear down our communities, we are attracted to and we are the breeders of now. The masters don't have to actually orchestrate these situations yeah. no more. It's literally like an experiment. You just put all these people in the cage and, and based on the way that our minds are conditioned, we are instantly going to be attracted to a certain lifestyle. But I think there's so many other factors that have to be considered and it's, I don't know, man, it's glorified. Like, that's why I just try to do my part.